for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Mark. I'm actually the founding pastor of Element 3. And uh, about a year and a half ago-ish, uh, Pastor Air, uh, I stepped down from being the, found, or the founding pastor. You can't step down from being the founding pastor. But the lead pastor in order uh, to take a larger role uh, role uh, in social entrepreneurship at uh, FSU, uh, the Jim Moran School of Entrepreneurship and the DeVoe Moore uh, Center uh, there on campus. And also, uh, I lead the Red Eye Coffee Ministry as well. So, um, you know, this, I get to speak, you know, about every six weeks uh, here, and it's, it's always a blessing. So Pastor Eric asked if I'd speak on grace today, which is actually a, uh, a topic that I love. Uh, it, it's something that uh, obviously is central to our faith. It's, it's a gift, and it's a beautiful message uh, during this time of year uh, in Christmas, is accepting those gifts. Now, the reality is, though, our culture, especially in Western culture, we struggle with this idea of... of uh, generosity and, and gifts, right? I mean, especially this time of year, especially if you met somebody this year and you became a little bit better friends or maybe you became good friends, but you're like at that point where you're like, do I get that person a gift? Are they going to get me a gift? You know, how, how is that all going to work? And, you know, we've all probably been caught where somebody gave us a gift and we're like, oh, thank you. Um, I don't have your gift here with me. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I, in fact, I haven't received it from Amazon yet because I haven't ordered it and, and everything, but we'll be sure to get it, get it to you, right? I mean, it's like this kind of thing. You know, it's interesting to me. I see this also, this idea of how it's hard to receive a gift all the time. Uh, as you know, uh, one of our ministries of the church is using uh, uh, the Red Eye Mobile Cafe to go out to... Uh, local events, and we give out complimentary coffee. We give about, out about 10,000 cups of complimentary coffee to Tallahassee events every uh, single year to help uh, their events, their usually charitable events, be more successful. And it's interesting when people uh, come up and they're like, how much is the coffee? And you're like, it's complimentary. And, and they're like, what? And uh, they're like, it's free. And I'm like, no, it's not free. Uh, Element 3 Church paid for it, but it's, it's, it, it's complimentary. We're, we're giving you this as a gift. And people literally try to pay you for it. And you're like, oh, here, let me give you some money. Let me give you some money. And you're like, no, 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 no. Suffer the gift, right? <laughs> that, that we are giving this to you. And this is not a transaction. We are here to serve you. And... It's just this kind of this weird thing in culture. And if you look at it on a larger scale, you think about, about the gift of Jesus Christ that we celebrate during this season and, and the, the free gift of grace that God has given us. And, and it, it makes us uncomfortable. We want to earn our gifts. I was actually looking at some of these gifts that, that we as the church uh, put together um, Lots of scissors, so lots of notes. We'll be going home, runs with scissors, don't run with scissors and stuff. The one that actually kind of blew me away was this one, these over here. Clorox wipes. Like, really? Like that? Because they're like germ-filled children running around. You got to wipe up after them and everything. So, let's look at it. 
I, this is what my students need as a pillow so they can sleep during my, my lessons uh, comfortably uh, and things like that. Yeah, but it's like absolutely amazing just kind of the, the things that are there. And, and just think about how weird that would have been if uh, we like our church uh, uh, gave Miss Anderson as a representative of W.T. Moore this. And she's like, well, we're going we're gonna to pay you for it. And I'm like, wait, no, no, no. That misses the point that this is a way that our community wants to live out love and, and, uh, and to serve you, those who are, who are serving our community so well. And it's, it's a way for us to pour out our hearts to say thank you. We don't, and whenever we receive you know, a gift and, and we have that tension, uh, you know, sometimes... We have to fight that urge to try to pay for it because once you try to pay for it, you have absolutely destroyed kind of the full message of, of love and gift to somebody else. So the, it's interesting as we get in today and we're talking about this free gift of, of grace. We're actually going to be in Galatians chapter 2 starting in verse 11 today and and. There's a whole bunch of dynamics uh, um, just coming out. This, it's happening in the Church of Antioch, which is the first uh, Christian church. And two pillars of, of the Christian faith are, are going to have an interaction. And that's Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, and also Peter, the Apostle Peter. And that they're going to have this relational conflict and it all is going to revolve around this free gift of grace that Christ has offered us. So if you open up your Bible, starting in verse 11, Paul's writing, but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face. For what he, had done, what he did was very wrong. Now, all of a sudden, you know, that I, I love this because uh, it makes me think of people's life verses, right? Like who here has like kind of a verse, a go-to verse in, the, in Scripture that just kind of helps them, right? Nobody. I do. Okay, I'm the only one with a life verse. It's cool. Making us look bad and, you know, like... The life verse, mine is Ephesians 2.10, that we are God's masterpiece. We are the church. We are created anew in Christ Jesus to do the great things that he has planned for us long ago. I just, I love that picture of the church of being God's masterpiece. And we come together and we're God's masterpiece. I don't think this is anybody's life verse. <laughs> but when Peter came to Antioch, I had to oppose him to his face for what he did was very, very wrong. You know, but... This is one thing I love about Scripture. Scripture is just not, you know, inspiration. It's also instruction, and, and it's uh, instruction of what happens uh, in real life. Like, this is real life, that two people who arguably are fully devoted followers of Christ, right? We got Peter and Paul, and they're having this conflict. Well, what, what did Peter do wrong? Well, when he first arrived, he ate with the Gentile Christians who were not circumcised. But afterwards, when some friends of James came, Peter wouldn't eat with the Gentiles anymore. 
Now, here in the 21st century in Tallahassee, we'd be like, what? Like, what, what's going on here? But here, here's the reality, and this all comes down to the core of grace and how people view a right relationship with God and a right relationship with people. You see, Peter, when he was first there, and it was just with Paul, that, that he was about kind of this, this idea of grace that in Christ alone we are saved. But there was another movement happening in Christianity in the first century. Much like how, how we have um, uh, Baptists and Methodists and Anglicans and, and, and different denominations that are trying to live out faith as best they can in the 21st century, but there's some doctrinal differences. There's some different ways of looking at it. Well, the same was true in the first century. In fact, there was James, and a bunch of James friends came. Now, James kind of led a movement called the Judaizers, and kind of the message was there was, yes, Jesus is our salvation, but you also have to keep the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, and ultimately the 613 laws of Moses. And if you, you kept those, you know, and that included being circumcised and all this kind of uh, stuff and the washing of the hands and everything, plus Jesus. And, and Peter, and I, I, I think it's kind of an interesting thing, and it, it, it seems like a character flaw uh, with, with Peter because, remember, Peter denied Christ three times. And then here again, we see this, this, this weak spot in Peter's life where he was, he was connecting with the Gentile Christians, he was eating with them, he was building community with them, but then when this other group came in, the friends of James who were Judaizers, all of a sudden he basically he denies his friendship with them. With them. So why, why would he do this? You know, why, I don't know if you've ever had that experience of, of, of having a friend and then when some other type of friends come in, they act differently towards you. Makes you feel lousy, right? It's like, hey, wait a second, we were just all buddy buddies and everything and, and laughing about SpongeBob or whatever. And now, you know, you're like, SpongeBob who? What's going on? So why... Why would Peter do this? Because it's a pretty wretched thing to do. And fortunately, Scripture tells us exactly why he did it. In the next verse, it was because he was afraid of criticism from these people who insisted on the necessity of circumcision. And I think that this is such a key thing in, in relationships and grace and as we try to work together as the church and combine ourselves with other churches uh, to uh, glorify Christ. That really, the fear of criticism is a symptom of relational tyranny. Like if you're in a relationship and you are acting different because you're afraid of a group criticizing you or a person criticizing you for trying to live out the love of Christ, this is a symptom that, that tyranny is happening in your life. And this is not a healthy relationship. And this is exactly what's going on with Peter as James' friends come in. He's afraid that he's going to be criticized. So 
he basically denies and disassociates himself with the people that he'd been building relationship with. And, you know, maybe if it just kind of still stayed self-contained in that one thing, then maybe it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, just kind of messed up. But this is what brokenness always leads to, is it starts to touch other people. In verse 13, as a result, other Jewish Christians followed Peter's hypocrisy. And even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here you have, you know, the, you know, the first church. And they're coming together and they want to be the body of Christ, the living manifestation of Jesus' love. And one of the first challenges they have is this, hey, you know what? You have to follow the law. No, we are under grace and, and, and we can follow grace, uh, follow Jesus and experience grace. And as that all comes together, really the reality of this is, and this is one of these things, I've been a pastor for just about 20 years, and, and it's interesting, as, as, as controversial as grace was in the first century, it's still controversial today. You know, I've had people when I'm talking about the free uh, gift of grace and, and, and that, that Jesus did it all for us, that I've gotten pushback from people. It's like, no, they got to follow the rules too. And I'm like, follow the rules? You know, what? you know what? We're meant to follow Jesus, being fully devoted followers of Jesus, not fully devoted followers of the law. And then they, you know, the secondary argument is always like, so you just, you know, Christians can do anything, you know, they can go and smoke crack and rob liquor stores and just, oh, it's under the grace of, you know, God. And I'm like, no, of course not. That's absolutely ridiculous. But it comes down to a singular belief that I truly have. I believe if a fellow human being has a real interaction, a real um, connection with the one true living God, that they will be transformation, transformationally changed. That the closer that they, they follow and try to follow Christ, the less need there is for the law because love comes in its place. And really, personally, personal proclaimed piety is really the, the pinnacle of, of, of hypocrisy. So continuing in verse 14, this is what happens. When, this is uh, Paul again. When I saw that they were not following the truth of the gospel. Did you just catch that? Paul just turned it up. He just made this an issue about what is the true gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it you have to follow the 16, uh, 613 laws of Moses? Or is it you have to follow Jesus? He went right there. I said to Peter in front of all others, since you, a Jew by birth, have discarded the Jewish laws and are living like a Gentile, why are you now trying to make these Gentiles follow Jewish, Jew, Jewish, Jewish traditions? Good question. I could just, you know, it's almost like a tennis match where everybody's like, you know, doing this kind of thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, Peter. I mean, you're not following them anymore. Why are you having other people follow them? 
And he continues and says, you and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. I know, that doesn't seem very nice to our 21st century ears, but, but in context it makes sense. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. Boom, 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 right? That, that he's coming right out and saying it. He's like, look, he's calling him to the carpet and saying it is about Jesus and Jesus alone. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. And then this last sentence in this section, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. You see, this is the, the theology of grace. Uh, this week, I, I, um, it's finals uh, week, come, this coming week uh, at, at FSU, and, and we're basically winding up. And um, my students are actually interested in what I think now, and, uh, <laughs> and emailing me, they love me, you know. And this one student is kind of one MIA, right? And uh, found out later that he had some medical issues and, 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 th and things like that. And, and he came to me, he's like, you know, I need to pass this class. And, you know, I'm like, wow, you know, and I, I felt bad because he had some medical issues, it was legit, and all this kind of stuff. But the other thing is, the, the class had moved on. Like, there was groups coming together, you know, we really ramped it up. So I went to uh, one of my uh, faculty members, and I just said, I don't know what to do. Like, I feel bad for this student, but also I can't pass them because they haven't done the work. And I'm like, what do you do? And, and they said, you have two choices. You could offer them a medical withdrawal, or you could find another route for them, but ultimately you are going to have to spend that extra, that extra time and, and energy to work with them in order for them, basically teaching the last two weeks again for that student and help them pass. So I emailed the student, I said, sorry, you failed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, I didn't do that. But this is the picture of grace, right? That this student under no circumstance should pass this class, except if I pay the price for him and say, you know what? I'm willing to, to offer my time up in order to help you get to the finish line. And that's what I offered them and or him, and that's what we're going to do. And that's the picture of what Jesus did for us. That, that he paid a price that we could not pay. In verse 17, then he goes in and talks about the folly of trying to follow the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then we, then we are found guilty because we had abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ has led us into sin? Absolutely not. And basically, one thing that Paul is brilliant about is using circular reasoning and just taking it back around and saying, look, what if we go all in on this grace thing that Jesus said we should? 
then does that mean that Jesus has led us into sin? He's like, of course not. That is not what has happened. And then he comes back and he, he goes and he takes this, uh, ratchets it up one more level and starts talking about the law as actual sin. He says, rather I, or rather I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of the law I already tore down. For when I try to keep the law, it condemns me. And this is precisely why Jesus said that I came to fulfill the law. I did not come to abolish the law, but fulfill the law. What was the law? The law was given to show us that we were in total need of grace. The law was given to show that we had no way in ourselves to save ourselves and that we were totally reliant on the free gift of grace. You know, it makes me think, uh, have you, has anybody ever got like a ticket here? Like a, not like a ticket to the movies, but like a ticket, like a, a speeding ticket or a parking ticket. And, and I'm not, you don't need to raise your hand. You've already proved yourselves that liars. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, of, cor- of course you have. Of course you have. And, you know, these laws exist and these laws have been made, uh, and laws are made when love fades, is the reality of it. Would there need to be any laws if we all got in our cars and we thought, you know what, my primary goal is to make the driving conditions as safe for my fellow motorists as possible because I want them to arrive safely. <laughs> yeah, you laugh. That's why there's laws. I mean, because people like you, like you don't care, you know, you're like driving around and, you know, you're speeding on Meridian or something and smashing deer and cyclists left and right and a cop pulls you over. What? That person there? You just called them out. I like it. No grace for you. <laughs> You get pulled over by the cop and, 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 he, and he, she, whatever, says, why were you speeding? What do you think is the number one response? This is completely made up, but I mean, I think. But I think we do know what the number one response is. I'm late. I'm late. I don't care about anybody else. I'm late. My selfishness, I... I failed to plan, and now I'm late, now I'm rushing, and I'm putting everybody else's safety uh, at, at risk. That's why there's a law. I was thinking about this. So next time you're pulled over for speeding, tell the police officer this. Officer, I wanted to spend as little time on the road for the safety of my other motorists. <laughs> That, I don't know if that'll get you off, maybe get a, like a chuckle or something, but, but the reality is laws are made when love fades. Try to find a law. I mean, that's why laws are, because you know what? 
people want their own thing. They're selfish. They, they want other people to behave in a way that's loving and, and, and accepting. So people don't want to do that. So a law has to be made. And ultimately, when we come together as the body of Christ, that we're reminded that, that there's no condemnation for us who belong to Jesus Christ. That when we come together, there shouldn't be this separation of those who've been circumcised and those who haven't. Just figure of speech. You know. Paul writes this in Romans, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, for now there is no condemnation for those who try to follow the 16, 613 laws of Moses. It's, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ because they have accepted the free gift of grace. And because you belong to Him, listen now, because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of of sin that leads to death. Every single one of us were born in the chains of sin, in the chains of the law. And Jesus broke those chains. Listen to this. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. And that was send His Son to pay a price that we could not pay. And in this Advent season and in the Christmas season, that is the gift that we celebrate. So let me finish with this in Galatians verse 19. So I died to the law. I just died to it. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. You see, we can spend all our time trying to be good or we can spend our time trying to be like Christ in love, in teaching, and in deeds. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then this last little bit, so powerful. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. And that's what we do when we try to be good and not be transformed by a real Interaction with the one true, true uh, living God. For it is, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there was no need for Christ to die. There was no need for Christ to come and to be crucified, to break the chains of the law, to break the chains of death, to break the chains of sin. The reality is, Justice is what we deserve. You know, I, I hear a lot and read a lot about how people are like, we want justice. We want justice. They want justice for somebody else. They don't want it for themselves. 
I don't want justice. You know what justice is? Prison. That's justice. You know what justice is? Death. The wages of sin is death. I don't want justice. You don't want justice. We want grace. We want love. Justice is what we deserve. Grace is the true gift that God gave us and that we celebrate in this Christmas season. Will you pray with me?